I'll say yes, Lord, yes, and then I'll go where you want me to go. I'll say yes, Lord, yes, to your will and to your way. I'll say yes, Lord, yes, I will trust you and obey. When your spirit speaks to me, with my whole heart I'll agree. And my answer will be yes, Lord, yes. I'll say Pastor Taylor and Sandy are, are away tonight at Island Pond at Calvary Baptist Church up there. And so, Kurt, would you pray for that situation going on there, too? Lord, I thank you for this evening. I, I thank you for the church that uh, you have here and as we worship you. I ask that you would be with Pastor and Sandy as they're uh, at, at the church at Island Pond. I ask especially for that church as we... Uh, we, we want to see your will be done. We want to see um, we want to see your work go out in our community. And we thank you for Brother Potter as he started churches. And we're sad to see um, we're sad to see these churches struggling. Lord, we just we we we're watching to see you do work here in our our state of Vermont. And, uh, we just we ask that you would have uh, have control in that situation. And, uh, 
just ask that you bless the service here tonight. It would honor and glorify you. And I thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. And as you're seated, let's continue in singing. When the roll is called up yonder and then your name. When the trumpet of the Lord shall sound and time shall be no more. And the morning breaks eternal, bright and fair. When the saint of earth shall gather over on the other shore. And the roll is called up yonder, I'll be there.
church planner in Burlington. Ben, you guys have been there for three, four, two years. Okay, two years. So um, we're excited for Ben. We, we support Ben and his wife and their, the ministry up there in Burlington. There's their, their board is right over there. So if you want to go take a look at their picture. <laughs> but Ben, why don't you come on and he's going to um, tell us a little bit about what's going on up there in Burlington and then preach for us tonight, sir. Sounds great. Sounds great. I'm still stuck, like, on, we're on, you know, a few minutes back where John said there's pie sometime soon. Uh, I'm just still stuck on that. We actually live in Charlotte right now, uh, so not very far away at all. So I might have to find a way to get down here for that and uh, steal some pie. Uh, but uh, I don't know. I haven't seen your board back there yet. Uh, if uh, that's our old prayer card on that or if maybe somebody updated it or something like that. But uh we, uh, I, we haven't put out a prayer card since our son was born. You might uh, know or not know we have a son. He's just running around here if you see a kid uh, with crazy hair. Uh, if he takes after his dad, it'll be gone before too long. But uh, if you see a kid running around here with crazy hair, uh, that's mine. That's mine. He's probably causing issues and problems and stuff like that. But it's been, uh, it's, uh, I, I was trying to think, I, I believe that we came and presented here uh, I want to say like two years ago, like right after we had started the church up in Burlington. Uh, and I think it's been since then that uh, we've been able to come through here, uh, even though, like I said, we literally live in our, the backyard here. But uh, I appreciate everybody's prayers for the ministry there. Uh, we, are, uh, we, are, uh, we had a baptism Sunday this past Sunday. Uh, we're just always excited when that happens and uh, just to watch what God is doing there. Uh, we, God has given us, it's, it's been really exciting, God has given us a mix of uh, people that uh, were, have been saved for a long time and were like looking for a church or God just kind of, something was happening there. Uh, and then we have also have a mix of people that uh, were saved elsewhere but never got a chance to really get discipled or anything like that. And then we have people that have been led to the Lord through our ministry, and uh, we've had a chance to uh, see them saved, baptized, uh, discipled, and uh, God's just been really good to us. Just God's been really good to us. We, uh, I said we live in Charlotte now. We, uh, we first moved here. We uh, found a place in South Burlington, uh, and the rent skyrocketed on that one. Uh, we have a family in our church that lives uh, in Shalott, and her parents do rentals. Uh, she's an adult, young adult woman, and her parents do rentals. Uh, and I just casually mentioned on a Wednesday evening prayer meeting one time, uh, just pray for us. We're trying to figure out what to do as far as our lodging situation. Not sure if we're going to stay in South Burlington much longer. Uh, and it just all worked out that we now live in Shalott. We're, like, like I said, right in your backyard here. Uh, so, uh, so that's that. We've uh, seen a lot of exciting things lately. We did our first vacation Bible school this past uh, uh, this past summer, and that was uh, that was exciting. 
Uh, we have a family that's been coming as a result of that. So that was, so that was really neat. Uh, this, coming, this coming Sunday, uh, because it's a convenient day when everybody is already there and gathered, uh, this coming Sunday we are actually going to be doing a, uh, we're raking for some of the people in our community. I posted on Front Porch Forum, uh, our church uh, really wants to uh, just be a blessing to the community. We're not charging anything. We just want to, if you're physically not able to rake, uh, we want to help you guys with that. Uh, and we had a good turnout. We have a, had a good response from that, and our church is going to be raking leaves up there uh, for people in our community who just have that need. Uh, and we're, I'm excited about it. We had, I had somebody email me the other day through Front Porch Forum and said, uh, I don't need my lawn raked. I just want to let you know that that shows that your faith is real when you put it to, the, to action like that. So we've just uh, been trying to be a testimony to our community, trying to be a testimony to the uh, Burlington area up there. Uh, be praying for us. Uh, it's uh, slow work. It's slow progress. But uh, God is doing something. Uh, and step by step, he's building his church. And we're just uh, we're excited about that. So uh, grab your Bibles and turn to Mark chapter 4. Mark chapter 4. And those of you who are in Kurt's class, you guys are dismissed to go to the <clears throat> Fundamentals of the Faith class. Mark chapter 4 is where we're going to be tonight. Pastor Taylor did not explicitly tell me that tonight needed to be a sort of like a missions-themed sermon, like, you know, hey, I'm coming in as a church planner supported by this church. He didn't tell me that. Uh, so I am not planning to share a missions-related message tonight. I just want to uh, talk, if you will, pastorally here uh, and uh, share with you a truth that uh, I found encouraging this week. Uh, and I hope, it, I hope it encourages you as well. Uh, always honored at the opportunity to, uh, to share God's word. I uh, appreciate your church. I appreciate your pastor. I appreciate you guys uh, supporting us, uh, making it possible for us to, uh, to do the work up there. Mark chapter 4. I want everybody to notice verses 26 through 34. Jesus is speaking here, and it says, And he said, So is the kingdom of God, as if a man should cast seed into the ground, and should sleep and rise night and day, and the seed should spring and grow up, he knoweth not how, for the earth bringeth forth fruit of herself, first the blade, and then the ear, after that the full corn in the ear. But when the fruit is brought forth, immediately he putteth in the sickle, because the harvest is come. And he said, Whereunto shall we liken the kingdom of God, or with what comparison shall we compare it? It is like a grain of mustard seed. Which when it is sown in the earth is less than all the seeds that be in the earth, but when it is sown, it groweth up, and becometh greater than all herbs, and shooteth out great branches, so that the fowls of the air may lodge under the shadow of it. And with many such parables spake he the word unto them, as they were able to hear it, but without a parable spake he not unto them. And when they were alone, he expounded all things to his disciples." We're going to go ahead and pray uh, before we dive into the scripture tonight. I'm partially going to pray that uh, God just gives me a voice to be able to preach. I, I got uh, pneumonia two months ago, uh, and I'm still like just dealing with the after effects of it. And I think it's combined with my allergies, and it's all fun stuff. I'm not contagious. I promise you I'm not contagious. And I promise you if after church, after preaching, I'm coughing up a storm, I don't have COVID. Just want to like, like let everybody know that. Uh, uh, right off the bat. So let's go ahead and pray uh, and ask God to bless our service, our gracious Father. Uh, Lord, we pray that uh, as we look into your word tonight, Lord, that you would uh, give us some encouragement from the scripture that we're reading. Uh, Lord, it's a crazy, crazy world out there. Uh, Lord, and sometimes it's easy to get discouraged. It's easy to get our uh, mind off of the uh, reality of your love for us. And uh, Lord, I just pray that you would use these next few minutes to if you will, recenter us uh, on who you are. Uh, Lord, I thank you for your love for us, and I just pray that uh, that would be communicated clearly tonight uh, as we look at your word. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Last Sunday, as we opened the service, I made a comment uh, to our church that we ought to just be praying for each other. Uh, as of last Sunday, we had one family that was down in Connecticut for a memorial service for an aunt who had passed away, somebody they were very, very close to. Uh, she was up in age, but so it's not like a shock that she had passed, but it was just a tough thing that they were dealing with. The lady that I mentioned earlier who uh, was bringing her girls uh, to our church as a result of vacation Bible school, 
uh, she had texted me and said, uh, uh, it'd be a couple weeks before we saw them because they are out in Washington State. Her son, uh, son's girlfriend uh, had died tragically in a car accident out in Washington State. Uh, and along with her was, uh, uh, in the car there, was uh, the girlfriend's mom. She also passed away and she's just very close to them. Uh, there, was a, uh, there was another lady in our church who was gone last Sunday because uh, her dad in Syracuse, uh, he, was, uh, he is unsaved. And they have been praying for his salvation for years, and he's now up in his 80s. Uh, and he's been experiencing some severe health problems and is in the hospital. Uh, and I just said, hey, pray for our, ch our church, pray for each other, pray for a situation like that. We have another gentleman from our church, guy who got uh, saved. <clears throat> And baptized a while back and he's just having some pretty deep struggles spiritual struggles and things like that pray for each other one of those types of things said all that this past week uh, on top of that we go through the week and then we hear about this shooting over in Maine uh, and I don't know about you I probably should not uh, own up to this out loud from behind a pulpit somewhere but let's just be real sometimes you hear so much about these things it's almost like you get desensitized to it it's almost like well, there's another shooting, I guess, happening. Uh, it's a little different, though, when it hits rural New England. Uh, I've been to Lewiston, Maine before. I'm sure many of you have as well. And it's just like, man, this is tough. There's families here who are mourning the loss of a father, a mother, a sister, a brother. And then in the middle of all that, I get a phone call from my dad's girlfriend. Uh, my dad lives in Palo Alto, California. Uh, and she called me to say that... Uh, yeah, and my dad, by the way, has had some spiritual issues that he struggled with. He had sort of a crisis of faith a few years back. And we've been praying for my dad for a while now. Uh, but she calls me and says, uh, pray for... Uh, she didn't say pray. But she said, uh, let me tell you what's going on with your dad. He went in for an outpatient procedure a couple days ago. Uh, uh, some polyps on his colon needed to be removed. It was supposed to just be a nice, simple uh, procedure. Uh, got home from the procedure, called the ER, called 911. They rushed him back to the hospital and found out that, bear with me here, they severed a part of his small intestine in the middle of this, this, this procedure that they were doing. Uh, and so now he's like dealing with that. He's in the hospital. He's been in the hospital as of right now for over a week and a half. Uh, and uh, there's, it's a long road ahead to recover from something like that. I'm trying to possibly go out and see him sometime soon. And in the middle of all that, in the middle of all that, you ask yourself, what's God doing? What's God doing? It's a question I've asked myself a fair number of times. I'm sure you've asked the same thing. Sometimes we ask it in different ways tones of internal voice, right? You can hear your internal voice sometimes and it's yelling and sometimes maybe I'm just crazy like that, but sometimes my internal voice is like yelling at me, if you will. Uh, sometimes you say, what's God doing in my life right now? What am I learning? How am I growing? It's a healthy, introspective way to ask that. How am I growing? What's God doing right now? Uh, what are the circumstances in my life teaching me? How is God using the circumstances in my life to teach me? Other times, it's sort of a different internal tone of voice, isn't it? I remember a circumstance a while back, the details of it don't matter, but a circumstance a while back where uh, <clears throat> it was like uh, I was going through a situation uh, and it felt like every door was wide open for me. Like God was opening all of these doors and everything was going smoothly and I was walking through another door and I was saying, God, give me wisdom, show me how, how I need to proceed. Uh, I'd walk through the next door and God was just opening door after door after door. And then all of a sudden, the doors closed. And you think to yourself, but God, I was following you, right? I went through door after door after door thinking this was your will and I was praying about it and I was asking God's wisdom for the whole thing and door closes. And I remember uh, being on the phone with one of my brothers, <clears throat> being on the phone with one of my brothers, yelling into the phone, <laughs> poor guy, yelling into the phone, I don't understand what God is doing right now. Because sometimes we're at that place in life, aren't we? Where we, aren't we? Where we just don't get what God is doing. 
I don't know the circumstances represented in this room. I don't know everybody's story. I don't know what's going on in your life. Maybe it's now. Maybe it's later. Maybe it's going to be next week or two weeks from now that you find yourself saying this. Maybe you've said it this past week. What is God up to right now? What is God doing right now? Turn in your Bibles to Psalm 88. I want everybody to see something. Psalm 88. Psalm 88. I love the Psalms. They're just so raw with emotion. Psalm 88 is what's called a song of a psalm of lament. It's a, in other words, there are some psalms in the scriptures that are just kind of sad. And mostly the way the psalms of lament go is, life's terrible, I hate everything, things are difficult, I don't know where God is right now, but I will rest in who he is and it's all going to be okay. That's how most of the Psalms of Lament go. They end by saying, even though everything is difficult, I understand that God is still there. He's still good. He has not changed. That's how most of the Psalms end. I want everybody to notice Psalm 88, verse 1. It says, O Lord God of my salvation, I have cried day and night before thee. Let my prayer come before thee. Incline thine ear unto my cry. For my soul is full of troubles, and my life draweth nigh unto the grave. I am counted with them that go down into the pit. I am as a man that hath no strength. This guy's not having a good day. Verse 5. Free among the dead, like the slain that lie in the grave, whom thou rememberest no more. And they are cut off from thy hand. That's the beginning of the psalm. This is a psalm, as you can tell here, it's a psalm of lament. All these psalms, they get to the end, and then there's some positive spin on it, right? Well, look at the end of this psalm. Verse 15. Look at verse 14. He says, Lord, why castest thou off my soul? Why hidest thou thy face from me? Let me paraphrase there. God, what are you doing? Verse 15, I'm afflicted and ready to die from my youth up. While I suffer thy terrors, I am distracted. Thy fierce wrath goeth over me. Thy terrors have cut me off. They came round about me daily like water. They compassed me about together. Lover and friend hast thou put far from me, and mine acquaintance into darkness. The end. And I think to myself, well, that's not a very optimistic way to end this psalm. And I wish I could tell you the reason I'm sharing this psalm with you is because I read it in my Bible this reading this week, or as I was preparing for this message, I found this. But I saw a guy tweet about Psalm 88 a couple weeks ago. It's not Twitter anymore, it's X, right? Uh, So this guy put out a post on Twitter just the other day. And let me read you his post because I can't say it any better than he did. He said, I like Psalm 88. Unlike other lament psalms, it doesn't end on a note of praise or hope. It ends bleak. Notice this. He says, an inspired author wrote a bleak psalm of lamentation and despair with no hopeful ending. And God decided to preserve it in his holy word for all of time. Because sometimes life just stinks. Sometimes we can be despairing, hopeless, and beaten down. And God is okay with us just taking that in. I've always found happiness to be overrated. I never learned anything through happiness. But I've grown leaps and bounds in wisdom through the fires of trial and heartache. I have all eternity to be happy with the Lord. But this life can be tough. So I'll take holiness over happiness any day. That's good stuff right there. Sometimes life is difficult. Sometimes we find ourselves saying, what is God up to right now? And as true as that is right there, I also am thankful for passages of Scripture that do shed a little bit of light into how God is working. That brings us to Mark chapter 4 tonight. Flip back to Mark chapter 4. A little backstory to Mark chapter 4, just to kind of lead up and set up what we're seeing here tonight. Mark chapter 4, Mark is not a gospel that focuses on Jesus' teaching. Uh, Mark is primarily focused on Jesus' actions. Jesus doing this, Jesus doing that, Jesus living a life of service, Jesus living an others-focused life. That's what we see a lot of in Mark. It's not as heavy on teaching as some of the other Gospels. But then you get to Mark chapter 4, and it's very extensive uh, as far as that goes. Mark chapter 4 is all about Jesus' teaching, and specifically his, his teaching in parables. Mark 4 verses, he gives four parables in Mark 4. The first one is the parable of the sower in verses 1 through 20. 
The parable of the sower. Most of us are familiar with that. Uh, guy goes out, casts seed on the ground. Some of it grows. Most of it doesn't. And he says the, the seed, the ground where the seed is growing up, that's good soil. That's somebody who's attentive and listening. And I'm not going to get into all of it. There's a lot I could say about that. But the short version is part of what Jesus is saying in the parable of the sower is that uh, you disciples right now, you are the fertile ground. You're listening to the word. You're taking in what I'm saying. I'm investing myself in you guys. And then he gets to the next parable, the parable of the candle found in verses 21 through 25. And in the parable of the candle, he's saying, right now I'm investing myself in you guys. There's going to come a day, though, where I am gone, and when I'm gone, I want you guys to spread the gospel far and wide. I've given you a good thing. I've given you truth. Here's what I don't want you to do. I don't want you to put like a, a, a bushel over top of this truth and hide it. I want you to, have, to go out and share it for all the world to see. Now, sometimes we read the Bible like it's a collection of interesting statements, don't we? Uh, here's a good statement in this verse. Yada, 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 yada. Here's another good statement 10 verses later. Yada, yada, yada. Here's another good statement 10 verses later. And sometimes that's the way our brains just sort of work when we read the Bible. Understand, though, that Mark is writing this just like a person would any, any story, right? He's got a purpose for why he's saying what he's saying and why he's arranging the details the way he's arranging it. And there's a flow here. The parable of the sower, Jesus says, I'm investing myself in you 12 disciples right now. The parable of the candle, he says, someday, when I'm gone, I want you to preach the gospel to everybody. Shout it from the mountaintops. Don't hide it as if it were a candle under a bushel. And if you're the disciples, or if you've never read the book of Mark before and you don't know any of these stories, you might reach this point and you might say, how's that going to work? Jesus is investing himself in this small group of men. Twelve guys. There's a story, goes something like this, and it's not obviously true. It's certainly not true. Uh, but the story is that Jesus uh, ascended back up into heaven, got there, and everybody's cheering for him. Uh, everybody's, uh, all the angels that are standing there, they're clapping and applauding. He had just come back from his uh, commission down on earth. He's back up in heaven, and they're cheering him. And uh, Gabriel goes up to Jesus, and they're walking down the streets of gold. Obviously, this is not a true story. Uh, but the way that it goes is Gabriel says, Jesus, Jesus, what happens next? Jesus says, well, I've given my word to 12 guys down in Galilee. At this point, they're in uh, Judea. They're down in Jerusalem. I've given my word to those 12 men. I've invested myself in them. And now my goal is, my plan is, that these 12 men spread the gospel all throughout the world. And then people will understand. And Gabriel says, tell me about these 12 guys. Jesus says, well, they're fishermen, tax collectors, unlearned and ignorant men. And Gabriel says, well, how's that going to work? And Jesus says, well, I'm with them. And because I am with them, and because the Holy Spirit is with them, the kingdom of God is going to take off here. And that's what these two parables are about. Mark's saying, these disciples, they might be hearing Jesus' words, they might be hearing him say, well, once I'm gone, then you're going to spread the gospel, then you're going to spread the truth, then the kingdom of God is going to go forward. Uh, and the disciples say, well, how is that going to happen? What's that going to work like? Notice uh, the parables here. It says verse 26. Let me just give you a quick overview of these. Verse, they're very simple, by the way. Very, very simple parables. Verse 26, it says, So is the kingdom of God. Jump down to verse 30. He says, Whereunto shall we liken the kingdom of God? Or with what comparison shall we compare it? Now, if you're the disciples and you've heard all your life that the kingdom of God is coming someday, you know what you're saying? Jesus is about to make an analogy. He's about to make a comparison. He's probably going to compare the kingdom of God to like a battlefield, right? He's probably going to compare the kingdom of God to a castle, right? He's probably going to compare the kingdom of God to something really impressive. And instead, you know what, what Jesus does? He says, 
It's like a guy who goes out and throws seed on the ground. The kingdom of God is like a guy going out and throwing seed on the ground. The kingdom of God is like a grain of mustard seed. And if you're the disciples, you're saying, what on earth is Jesus saying right here? What on earth is he trying to communicate with, with all of this? The short version is that in verses 26 through 29, he, he, he talks about a guy going out, throwing seed on the ground, that seed growing up, and then being harvested. That is literally the parable, okay? Not a whole lot to it. But there's a key phrase in this parable. Look at verse, uh, verse 27. And he should sleep. The guy who's uh, sowing the seed should sleep and rise night and day. And the seed should spring and grow up. He knoweth not how. What Jesus is answering in these parables is, this is how God works. When you find yourself asking, what is God doing? How does God work? What he's saying is, here's how the kingdom of God works. Here's how things work in my sphere of authority. First things first, what he's telling us in verses 26 through 29, he's saying, don't expect to understand what God is doing. Don't expect to understand what God is doing. He's saying a guy who goes and throws seed in the ground, he has no idea how it grows up. He has no idea how that seed becomes a full harvest someday. He doesn't get any of that. He just goes out and throws the seed out. And as time goes on, it grows. He doesn't understand it. He doesn't know how it's working. He just does it. Jesus is saying the lesson there is don't expect to understand what God is doing. The second parable in verses 30 through 32 is the grain of mustard seed. Now, let's think about this, church. Uh, you, everybody here has heard, right? Jesus said, have faith as a grain of mustard seed, right? Uh, 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 if you have faith as a grain of mustard seed, uh, you'll be able to go out and move mountains. This type cometh not forth, but by prayer and fasting. You guys have all heard that. Great. That's not this parable. That's not this teaching. This is a different teaching. It's very similar in a lot of things, but it's a different account. This, he's talking about the kingdom of God, not faith. And what he's saying is he's showing it as, as a contrast. The kingdom of God starts small and becomes something great. So disciples, guys, you're over here wondering how is God's kingdom going to advance? How is everything going to take off someday? Understand, it might start with this small group of 12 men, but God is going to do something phenomenal with that group. God is going to take that, and he's going to use it in a great way. Here's what he's saying there. Not only is he saying in the first parable, he's saying, don't expect to understand what I'm doing. In the second parable, he's saying, don't underestimate what I'm doing. Church, that is, is that helpful for you? I hope that's helpful for you. Because sometimes I want to understand what God is doing. And I get frustrated when I don't understand what God is doing. Sometimes, I don't know about you, I just know for myself, sometimes I underestimate what God might be doing. I have no idea what's going on behind the scenes. I have no idea how he's going to take something small up in Burlington, Vermont, and grow it and uh, build his church. I don't know how he's going to do something like that. Sometimes I offer up prayers and I say, God, I'm, what, what's a prayer? I'm praying. I'm asking you for something. I, I'm imploring you. I'm pleading with you. God, can you please do this? What, what good is that small little prayer going to do? Don't underestimate what God is doing. So with these two lessons in mind, I want to just give you four quick points. Four quick points, two from each parable, uh, that'll help us understand this and kind of build this out. First off, in the parable of the growing seed in verses 26 through 29, don't expect to understand what God is doing when we can do nothing. Don't expect to understand what God is doing when we can do nothing. Let me rephrase that. I know that's kind of a clunky phrase right there, but it's very specifically worded because sometimes we do understand what God is doing. Sometimes God lets us understand what he's doing, but we can't expect that. Don't expect to understand what God is doing when we're helpless. Uh, notice the man. It says, verse 26, So is the kingdom of God, as a man should cast seed into the ground, and should 
sleep and rise night and day. And the seed should spring and grow up. He knoweth not how. I love what Jesus is doing right here. He could word this parable any way he wants. He could explain this any way he wants. But what he's saying right there is the guy goes out and he casts seed in the ground. And you know what? After he's done that, there's nothing more he can do for the day. The guy doesn't go back and, you know, sit down by the seed and watch it grow. Right? Any farmers in here? Anybody who is over here saying, yeah, no, I would not really want to plant a seed and then just sit around on the dirt watching the seed grow, okay? He's saying the guy doesn't go uh, out in the middle of the night with a, you know, with a watering pail uh, and just water it every 30 seconds. He says he goes out, he casts out the seed, and then he goes home and goes to bed. You know what? Sometimes you and I get to a place where we've done everything humanly possible that we can do. Sometimes, I, I, uh, this past week, my sister-in-law was out here. My wife's sister, Jacqueline, was here. And so we took her over to Stowe. We saw the notch. Um, we're out there. I took Nick out. We're walking down by a stream. And while I'm there, I get a Facebook message from my uncle. Uh, he has the very unfortunate distinction of being named Larry Potter. Uh, I get all the Harry Potter jokes. I can only imagine what he gets. Larry Potter. Uh, but my Uncle Larry, he fa Facebook messages me and he says, I just heard about your dad. Uh, how are you feeling about that? And I thought about it. How do I answer this? And I said, you know, the tough thing is that nobody's really able to be there for him. That there's really nothing we can do about it. Ever been in situations where it's like there's really nothing more you can do about a thing? You've prayed for somebody to get saved and they just seem to be completely uninterested. You have shared the gospel with somebody, and it's just kind of falling on deaf ears. You've prayed and prayed and prayed, and you're going to continue to pray, but it's not like there's really a whole lot more that you can do in this situation. I love that this is a great example. In uh, Acts chapter 8, there's, a, uh, there's persecution that arises in the church. Uh, uh, the, uh, the apostles, they're all there in Jerusalem. And then Saul, back when he was the bad guy Saul, right? Back when Saul was against the church. Saul uh, starts uh, instigating persecution. Uh, and the disciples, the believers, they're all scattered. The twelve apostles, though, remain there in Jerusalem. They stay there in Jerusalem. And a guy named Philip, he's one of the deacons. He's known as Philip the Evangelist. This is the same guy who led the Ethiopian eunuch to the Lord. This guy, Philip, he goes down uh, to an area called Samaria and starts preaching the gospel there. And people start getting saved. And then they send back for the apostles. Again, the 12 apostles, they stayed in Jerusalem. And I can only imagine that conversation. Peter says, Bartholomew, you go down to Samaria and preach? No, I didn't go down to Samaria and preach. Uh, uh, James, you go down to Samaria to preach? No, I didn't go down to Samaria to preach. But the gospel is spreading. The kingdom of God is growing. They, they look back and they say, this is what Jesus was talking about. He said the kingdom of God, sometimes it grows and it succeeds when we're stuck at a place where we're locked here in Jerusalem and can't really go anywhere, can't really do anything. But God is still at work even when we can't see what he's doing. I say that just to say this, I'm not suggesting that when something bad happens or that when a circumstance comes up, that we just throw up our hands and say, well, we're help helpless. I'm not saying that we just kind of give up on situations or don't put any effort in. But let me say this, there's a kind of preaching and teaching out there. Maybe you've heard it before. And it goes something like this. This community needs you. Your family needs you. Uh, you must step in the gap and figure these things out. You have to fix these th things. Let me give you some encouragement today. You can't make anybody get saved. You can't make... I cannot, as pastor of CVBC, of Champlain Valley Baptist Church, I cannot just single-handedly make the church grow and that growth be real. 1 Corinthians 3, 6, and 7 says, Paul says, I have planted, Apollos watered, but who gave the increase? God gave the increase. I did everything that I could do, and then I just have to let God 
take over from there. Sometimes you and I, isn't it the worst feeling when we're helpless? Some of us are wired. We want to fix problems. There's a problem. We want to fix it. And when we can't fix it, we say, what on earth are we supposed to do next? Uh, uh, how are we supposed to proceed? What are we supposed to do? Uh, and we say in the middle of all that, what is God doing in this circumstance? What is God doing? You say, are, we, are, are you suggesting that we kind of give up and we kind of back down and we don't uh, do the best we can do? No, I'm not saying that. Here's what I'm saying. Work really hard, then go to bed. That's what Jesus said, right? He said, the guy goes out, he casts seed, then he goes to bed. Work really hard, go to bed, let God take care of the rest. So don't expect to understand what God is doing when you can do nothing. Secondly, don't expect to understand what God is doing on his own time. Look at verse 20, uh, 28. He says, for the earth bringeth forth fruit of herself. First the blade, then the ear, after that the full corn in the ear. Jesus uh, doesn't have to say anything of these things, the specific way he's doing it. He's describing the growth process of a seed. As riveting as that is, <laughs> he's saying the seed starts growing and the plant starts growing. And then it turns into a, uh, a stalk and then there's a kernel in the stalk and then it's ready for harvest. What is he saying right here? It takes time. God works on his own timetable. Don't underestimate, don't uh, expect to understand what God is doing on his own time. Think about Abraham. Abraham was told, go out, I'm going to make you a great nation. I'm going to turn you, Abraham, into this, uh, uh, into this remarkable group of people. He's told that when he's 75. Isaac, the son with whom God plans to uh, enact that promise, Isaac isn't born till he's 100 years old. So for 25 years, Abraham could have stopped and said, I just don't think, I just don't think God's going to fulfill his promise. By the way, he does at one point. 11 years after he's given his initial, uh, his initial promise, when God says, I'm going to make of you a great nation. 11 years later, he's 86 years old. He says, I'm 86. God's, nothing's, nothing's happening anytime soon. I have no kids. God told me he was going to make of me a great nation. Nothing's happened yet. I need to take matters into my own hands because I don't understand what God is doing. I don't understand his timetable. I don't understand his time frame. He gets ahead of God. There's all kinds of there's a huge mess that ensues because of that. But the reason I share this story is simply this. God fulfilled his promise. But it took 25 years. And it's easy for us to look back on a story like that and say, well, yeah, I mean, it's, you know, in the grand scheme of the Bible, you know, 25 years isn't really that long. But imagine being Abraham, waiting for 25 years for God to fulfill a promise. Imagine you waiting 25 years for God to fulfill a promise. It would be easy to get discouraged and to say, well, I guess, God's just, I guess God's just not following through on his part of the bargain. Imagine the remnant of Israel. David uh, takes over as king. 2 Samuel chapter 7 says, 2 Samuel 7 says that uh, uh, David becomes king and uh, he wants to build God a temple. And uh, God comes to David and he says, no, we're not going to build a temple. But I do want to tell you this, David, your seed will reign on the throne for forever. Well, that's encouraging news. David dies. Solomon takes over as king. Solomon dies. The kingdom splits in two. Both kingdoms that uh, ensue from that are abject disasters. God has to judge these kingdoms. He destroys the kingdoms. Then you're the remnant saying, I thought that God said that the king would reign, that the, our, our, our throne would reign forever. And you stop and you ask yourself, in the middle of the moments like that, was God not following through on his promise? No, he was. He was just working on a timetable that nobody else understood. I want to encourage everybody here. You might not always understand what God's doing. You might not always understand what he's doing when you can do nothing. You might not always understand what he's doing on his own timetable. 
You sit back and you say, well, what's happening in the world today? What on earth is supposed to, what on earth is, uh, uh, is, is, is even taking place here? Uh, I don't know what God's doing on his timetable in your life. But let's keep going because I want to, this ends with an encouraging note. Look at the second parable. He says, verse 30, whereunto shall we liken the kingdom of God? Or with what comparison shall we compare it? We said earlier, the lesson from this parable, don't underestimate what God is doing. Verse 31, it is like a grain of mustard seed, which when it is sown in the earth is less than all the seeds that, are, that be in the earth. But when it is sown, it groweth up and becometh greater than all herbs and shooteth out great branches. We'll stop right there for just a second. Don't underestimate what God is doing when he turns small things into great things. Don't underestimate what God is doing when he's turning small things into great things. You might have heard this story before. It feels like a type of story Pastor Taylor would tell. I could be completely wrong about this. Uh, but there was uh, but Charles Spurgeon, pastored in uh, London. Uh, great church there in London. It was thriving. It was growing. Uh, Spurgeon's ministry uh, was renowned the world over. And a guy came to Spurgeon one day on a Sunday morning and he said, uh, uh, tell, uh, tell me the story of your greatness. Tell me the story of this church. Tell me the backdrop, or the, ba the backstory to how this church is such a great church. And Spurgeon said, you want to know the answer to that? I'll show you. Follow me. Takes the guy down to the basement underneath the auditorium. Right underneath where, where Spurgeon's pulpit was, right below that, in the basement, there was a group of men just gathered there on their hands and knees praying. He points to these men and he says, that is the secret to this church's greatness. Men doing something that might seem really small, might not really seem super significant, praying Asking God, hey, bless this service, bless our church, bless our pastor, bless the people who walk in the doors of this place. Be magnified and honored and glorified in this service. Seems like such a small thing, but Spurgeon pointed and he said, the small thing that these people are doing in their prayers, that's something God will use. You might be out there and you say, I, I don't have a whole lot to offer, I guess I, I but I can, I can have some faith. I have a small amount of service that I can give. I have a small amount of availability that I can put forward. I have a small amount, I have small prayers that I can pray. Not that there's any such thing in God's eyes as a small prayer. But you know what? God can take something small like that, that we see as small, and he can do something great with that. God can take our weak and feeble efforts and do something phenomenal with that. That's what the disciples saw, isn't it? Jesus goes back into heaven, and they're sitting around saying, how on earth is the kingdom going to move forward? We're 12 unlearned and ignorant fishermen. What on earth is going to happen next? And God advanced his kingdom. The disciples say, what is God doing? How is God working? How does God's kingdom work? How does, his, how does, he, how does he make things happen? Don't underestimate what God is doing when he takes small things and makes them great things. Lastly, Verse 32. So the mustard seed grows, grows up. You, if, you've ever, if you know anything about this or if you've ever heard somebody preach on this, a mustard seed is only one to two millimeters in size. Tiny, tiny little seed. You cast it into the ground and it grows up. It becomes this magnificent tree. That's the point Jesus is making. Something small becomes something great. Don't underestimate it. Don't underestimate when God takes small things and makes them great things. But notice what else happens here. Verse 32. He says, when it is sown, it groweth up and becometh greater than all herbs and shooteth out great branches. Notice this next phrase. So that the fowls of the air may lodge under the shadow of it. So what's the significance of that statement? Significance of that statement. If you look through the Old Testament, in Psalm 104, Ezekiel, uh, let me get this right, Ezekiel 17, Ezekiel 31 and Daniel 4, all four of those passages. There's reference made to a tree, and in this tree, birds come and find refuge in the tree. You know what that is in every one of those circumstances talking about? It's talking about Gentile people coming and finding rest, 
finding protection, finding safety with God's people. What Jesus is saying right here is, this, the, you, you disciples, you go out, you sow your seed, you place this mustard seed in the ground, and it grows up and it becomes this big tree. People from all backgrounds, all ethnicities, all uh, stories, they come and they find hope in this. It symbolizes the nations being blessed as a result of God's people. It symbolizes the people of Virgins being blessed as a result of the work that goes in by this church. It symbolizes the people of Burlington, Vermont being blessed as a result of the work that goes forward by Champlain Valley Baptist Church. It symbolizes the people out there who are helped and protected as a result of something that started very small, but God takes and he does something great with. So what he's saying right there is, don't underestimate, here it is, don't underestimate God's desire to do loving things. He's going to take this grain of mustard seed and he's going to provide hope to people all throughout the world. Romans 8.28 says, And we know all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. Two verses later, in verse 30, he says, What shall we say then to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? In other words, if God loved us enough to send his son for us, if God loved us enough that Jesus was sacrificed on a cross for our sins, doesn't it stand to reason that he loves us enough to take care of us day in and day out and to make sure we're protected? So when you find yourself saying, what is God doing? Understand, God is doing good things. God is helping us. God is giving hope. And in spite of all of the craziness of this world, God takes these circumstances and uses them for his glory. So what is God doing? In the circumstances of your life, in the circumstances of my life, in the circumstances that we see represented all throughout the world, what is God doing? I don't know. I can tell you this. Don't expect to understand what God's doing. That's what the parable of the growing seed teaches us. Secondly, don't underestimate what God is doing. Corey Tenboom was 40 years old, a Dutch watchmaker in the beginning of World War II. And by the end of World War II, she was in her 50s at that point. And she and her family became members of the Dutch resistance movement. And they hid Jewish refugees in their home. Uh, when Jewish people ran from the Nazis, they would go to Corrie Ten Boom's house. And she had, a, she had a room, I believe it was right behind her bedroom or her office or something like that, where she was able to hold Jewish people that were uh, trying, to escape the, uh, trying to escape the Nazis. In early 1944, the war is winding down at that point. It's about a year away from being over. 1944, uh, she's captured. Her whole family is captured. Her, she and her dad and her sister are sent off to concentration camps. Her elderly dad only lasted another couple weeks. Her uh, sister, uh, she died uh, at the end of 1944, just a few months away. If she'd lived just a few months longer, she would have been delivered just like Corey Tenboom was. Corey Tenboom survived. Uh, maybe some of you have read some of her stories or are familiar with her work because after she uh, left the concentration camps, she became a renowned Christian uh, speaker and teacher. And much of what she wrote, in much of what she wrote, she was answering the question, what was God doing? What was God doing? And I love how she explains this. I could give you dozens of quotes from Corey Ten Boom about that. What was God doing? But one of the things she said that I've never been able to forget, she said, in order to realize the worth of the anchor, we need to feel the stress of the storm. Sometimes in our lives, we experience circumstances that are difficult, that are challenging. We find ourselves asking, what's God doing? How is God working? Jesus gave us two parables here that both explain the way he works. And he said... 
don't expect to understand what I'm doing. Church, if you're here tonight, you're struggling, you're going through some circumstances, and you're saying, I just don't get what God is doing. I understand Jesus said that's how it's going to be. Take comfort in the fact that that's always been the way it is, yet God has proven himself good time and time and time again. Church, if you're here tonight and you're saying, I don't understand what God is doing. I've tried and I've tried and I've prayed and I've prayed and I've talked to somebody about the gospel and just nothing's coming from it. Or I'm just in a circumstance in my life right now uh, where I've just poured myself out and it feels like there's nothing I can do. Don't underestimate what God can do with small things. Because in moments like this where we find ourselves asking, where is God? What's God doing? He's doing some of the same things he's always been doing. Our gracious Father, Lord, we thank you for this day. We thank you for the opportunity we had to look into your word. Lord, I pray that you would help each of us who are here tonight, Lord, as we seek to apply this into our lives, as we look at our lives, whether it's today, tomorrow, a couple weeks from now, in circumstances that we have, as of yet, don't even know or understand. Lord, I pray that whatever we face in life, when we ask the question, what are you doing? Lord, that we would come to these truths that we find in this parable. Lord, we can't expect to understand what you're doing. Lord, and that we can't underestimate what you're doing. Lord, I pray that we would learn, as the Paul said in Romans 8, Lord, learn to remember that you love us, you care about us, you're doing loving things for us and with us and through us. Lord, I pray that whatever takes place this week, we would remember and learn and love who you are. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.